0: and girls and welcome to yet another chapter of the secret journey of the silver reindeer last week in chapter seven of our book we heard all about how Aslak was going to go on his own to find the eagle's head how brave he must be it was also very very clever him to switch clothing with his sister Merja. In order to divert his uncle from following him. What a clever, clever boy. I really hope his plan works and that he's able to get what he needs to from the eagle's head. We'll have to wait and see what happens next in Chapter 8 of The Secret Journey of the Silver Reindeer. Ashlag made his second day's journey at a steady pace until he reached the snowfield below the peak of the mountain which was his goal. Under a huge rock he left his sister's dress and hat and much of his food for he knew he had a hard climb stretched out above him. He wished for his skis and he sank deeply into the snow without them. He wished too for his eye shades of deer horn scraped thin "'to soften the glare of the sun on the snow. "'There were crevasses which he had to leap across "'or climb around, "'but at last he had reached the rocky mountaintop. "'Where was the cave of the great hunters, "'and what would he find there? "'Above him was a rock so steep "'no snow could cling to it. "'A wind-whipped ledge lay under his feet, "'leading up in a spiral path to a shadowy crevice that stared blackly out of the cliff like the eye of an eagle. Ashlat climbed wearily to the cleft and walked to an arcing cave. Turning from the dazzle of snow and the sun outside, he was suddenly as blind as old Kusima. But when at last he could see in the dimness, he knew it must be the cave of the great hunters. For painted with red-brown stain on the stone walls were primitive drawings of reindeer and people. And against the back of the cave, preserved in the eternal cold, which even now needled Ashlack's bones, lay the body of his grandfather, and beyond another and another. Ashlack bowed his head in the presence of his ancestors and felt sorrow in his heart that his own father who knew of this place, was not resting there. For here was the unconquerable pride and wildness and mystery of his race, the Samir, and of his family, the Maga. Ashlech felt that whoever stood humbly there received new courage and strength and faith. Had his uncle reached the cave before him, Ashlech hesitated to disturb his ancestors. But on his grandfather's chest lay a small box. Ashlech carried it to the light at the cave mouth and opened it. Inside were good luck stones and wooden charms strung on deer sinews and a half nugget of gold. He saw also the wide ring of gold which his grandfather had always worn with pride. Ashlech took the ring and half nugget from the box wrapped them carefully in moss and a cloth he had brought, and put them in a peak of his hat. Then from his hat he took the larger piece of nugget he had found and smashed, and placed it in the box. Promising himself that next summer that he would return the box to his dead grandfather's clasp, he tucked it now inside his tunic. Too cold to rest in the cave, he began the downward journey, elated that he had found the sacred resting-place and the half-nugget with which to prove himself the head of the family. Forgetting all caution, for in all that day's journey the only voice he had heard was the scream of an eagle, Ashlek began a folk of thankfulness and joy. Even as he plodded through the snow-field, he hummed a song, and he stopped singing only as he came at last to the rock where he had hidden his sister's dress and hat. Now he was tired and planned to sleep, but when he bent over to look, he found that the dress and hat were gone. Fear leaped through his body, and his limbs left him shaken and weak. Then, as he slowly straightened up, he heard the woof-whisk, of a lasso. He jumped aside barely in time to escape being caught around the neck. Whoa! shouted his uncle who stood above on the rock triumphantly twirling the rope. Ashlack remembered that this man was known for two things. His poor skill at gambling and his superb skill at lassoing. Oof, before he could even move again, the leather circle fell around Ashleck's shoulders, and he felt the shock as his uncle jerked it, trying to pull it tight about his neck. He intended to strangle him. But luckily, Ashleck could reach the knife on his belt, and with a swift slash he cut the lasso before Deera could tighten it enough to finish squeezing off his breath. Then Deera leaped from the rock and seized Ashleck. He knocked the knife from his hand and it fell out of sight in a patch of moss. They pummeled each other as Ashlech fought to keep his uncle from jerking the cut end of the lasso and breaking his neck. But his uncle was strong and fresh, and Ashlak was exhausted from climbing. His hat fell off and he kicked it under the rock. Then his uncle knocked him down, and Ashlech fell so heavily on his back that his breath left him, and he could not move. Seeing a box outlined under Ashlack's tunic, Dira ripped open the boy's blouse and seized it. Gloating, he held it up, while Ashlack lay on the ground, weak and dizzy and breathless. Dira put a heavy foot on the boy's chest to keep him down. You are not so smart, Ashlack. "'Did you think I would let you escape me? "'I'll admit you fooled me when you walked off in Mirza's dress "'and left her behind in your clothes. "'But like all women, when her sister Terry washed her hair, Mirja had to wash hers too. "'It looks very foolish when a figure in a belted tunic "'suddenly takes off a cap and washes long, long hair. "'And luckily through my glass "'I saw you struggling up the snowfield this morning.' A half-day's walk and I found where you had it in your costume and heard you singing gaily up above me and now you did all the hard work for me and I have the box he proceeded to open it and there is the other half of the luck of Karaschoki. now all great yearny's wealth is mine Ashlek took comfort in having changed the Nuggets knowing that his uncle gloated over a nugget, which could prove nothing. For the true nugget was half in his own hat and half in the mayor's safekeeping. But since his uncle had already provided the mayor with his own half-nugget, he must also be planning a substitute for the nugget now in the box. That being so, his uncle was apparently counting on the box itself, painted with Yerni Maga's name, and designs representing the kill of the biggest bear in all of Lapland to convince the mayor that Dirja had found it and was handing him the right nugget. Ashlak saw then that his only chance lay in reaching the mayor before Dira could make his claim. Perhaps his grandfather's ring would be his proof that he was the one who reached the burial place. But Ashlak began to feel that it was the truth, and the right of his tail, which must finally convince the mayor. Yet how could he manage to reach the mayor before his uncle? Dura took his foot from Aslak's chest, and the boy tried to move, but could not. A horrifying weakness crept through his body. He wondered if he had broken his back and would be unable to move ever again. Exhaustion seemed to overcome him. He must not let it, but he would use it if he could. "'You have won,' he whispered to his uncle. "'You have the box with its nugget. "'You can show it to the mayor at the summer roundup. "'But since the deer are your wealth, you must take them with you. "'As you cannot herd them alone, you must take "'Small Journey, my brothers and sister, to help on the trail. "'Beside,' You made great promises to the mayor about caring for them all. It would look strange if you came to the camp with several thousand deer and none of us. And what do you intend to do about me? Leave me here to die? I am too weak to move, for when you knocked me down, you must have broken my back. But dear Amaga was not troubled by the boy's plight. So you cannot move then I can only say that on my way back from the burial place of my ancestors I saw you lying on the trail, broken from a fall. And I shall say that I heard your last words, for who else will hear them? Because by the time I reach your camp, you will be dead. No one lives long lying in this cold. True, deep fear showed in Aslak's eyes that he indeed might freeze to death or Dira might kill him then and there. But Dira only kicked him, and even though he wore reindeer-skin boots, the blows sent splinters of pain, ranging through Ashlack's body. But he did not flicker an eyelash or flinch or show that he felt it in any way. You see, I am paralyzed and beyond help, Ashlack told him. "'So why waste your time with me? "'Show Mirja the box and tell her "'it makes you head of the family "'and she must obey you on the trip to the summer camp.' "'His uncle did not answer, but scrambled about, "'hastily thrusting his telescope "'and some of Ashleck's supply of food into his tunic, "'until he looked like an odd-shaped being indeed. "'As odd and cruel as the dim-wit monster Stalo "'of the Samir legends.' The thought of Stalo and his magic, evil though it was, made Ashlak realize it would take some magic for him to carry out the rest of his plan, for he knew he must be hurt, although how badly he could not tell. As he stared up at Dira, one of the shapes pushed against his tunic looked familiar. "'Now you have the box. Give me the magic drum you are carrying.' so I can ask the spirits to help me if I must pass from this world, he begged. After all, I am your flesh and blood, and I lie in the shadow of my ancestor's resting place. You owe me at least that comfort. If only to be gone the sooner, Dira pulled out the magic drum, dropped it into Ashlak's body, and departed.